Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Good morning, everybody. Well, it's good to see some people. We've got a Zoom full of people, not a room full of people, but a Zoom full of people. Um, And this just gets weirder and weirder, doesn't it? So let's just acknowledge that straight up. It doesn't get much weirder, but hey, hey, this is cool that we get to do this. Um, Thanks to Lockie as well for making this happen and getting it all set up. So um, wherever you're watching and whatever's happening for you, uh, glad that you can be with us. Uh, Hope that you've got your Bible there. You're at home, so there's no excuses. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, you can go and get it if you want. That'd be good. Uh, We're going to open up to Mark chapter 9. We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark. um, And we're going to continue with an exciting story of Jesus and the disciples and Moses and Elijah making a guest appearance. So uh, Mark chapter 9, I'm going to read from that um, as we get into it today. Um, After Mark chapter 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus, as you do. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, though was so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they've done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Yeah. So that's where we get to. So kind of this, you might have already heard this story. Matthew, Mark and Luke all tell the same story. Um, and it's there's a lot in there. And like we've said, I think nearly every week about the Gospel of Mark, we, we can't cover everything, but just encourage you to go and read it for yourself later on and just spend time with the Lord and hear what he has to say as well. Um, check up on what I say. You know, don't take what I say as gospel but you know you can clarify you can question love to have conversations about it but get into the word for yourself as well and so uh, as we continue let's just uh, pray um, and invite Holy Spirit into this conversation so Holy Spirit we just invite you to come and have your way in us and through us today that as we're spread out across the state Lord um, thank you that you can be present in and with each and every one of us and we just pray that we would be completely um, locked into what you're saying and what you're doing. We would submit ourselves to your good and pleasing and perfect will. Mm. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I don't know um, about you, but, well, do you have a favourite superhero? So some people, you talk about superheroes and they'd be like, don't have a clue, 
don't really care. Some people are, oh, yeah, absolutely. I've got a favorite superhero. I've got the action figures. I've got the posters. I've got the pajamas. Um, it could be the whole kit and caboodle. Everybody has a different opinion. The thing that gets me with superheroes is how, I was going to say dumb, um, uh, how ignorant the people around them are. Like if you've ever watched Superman movies, right? Superman would probably be one of the most well-known, most popular superheroes of all time. There's Superman and then there's Clark Kent. And the difference between Superman and Clark Kent, apart from the cape and the tights and everything, is that Clark Kent wears glasses. Like, and nobody knows. Like, what's wrong with you people? Get a grip. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? But apparently not. But, you know, that's movie land for you. I don't know. Maybe you've got another hero. Like, um, Batman. The difference between Batman and Bruce Wayne, apart from his gravelly voice nowadays, um, it's just like a mask over his face. It shouldn't be too hard. But people struggle. Look, whatever it is, there's a difference between the normal everyday person who they kind of pretend to be and then the superhero version of them who apart from the whole costume is actually who they really are and in this exchange that we have with jesus and peter and james and john and moses and elijah on top of a mountain that's kind of what's happening here not that you know we're making jesus out to be a superhero and that he's faking it all along and then it's like oh wow it's super jesus no it's that in this transfiguration the disciples actually get to see jesus for who he really is see it's not a, a revelation well it is a part partly a revelation of what's to come with jesus in his resurrected form his resurrected self but it's also a revelation of who he truly is his divine nature and so as they're watching, as Peter, James and John are watching, and then this conversation with Moses and Elijah, they're actually seeing him becoming the full revelation, the full realisation of his divine being, his divine nature. So if you can imagine, Jesus takes his inner sanctum, Peter, James and John, up onto a mountain. Now, they, I think, uh, might be, some people think it's Mount Tabor um, or Mount Hebron. Um, apparently it's about 9,000 feet high and 9,000 feet above sea level, which is super cold. I don't know if you've ever been that high above sea level. It's cold. It's like about 2.7 kilometers. So they are high up. They're alone. They're isolated. Um, and it's just the four of them initially, because as we've talked about before, Peter, James and John are kind of Jesus in a sanctum. He, the, you know, the chosen three out of the 12 disciples and the rest of the group. And so it's them. And then Moses and Elijah appear from nowhere. Now, how they know that it's Moses and Elijah, how Peter knows it's Moses and Elijah. We put it down to divine revelation. It can be the only explanation because there's nothing else to say, suggest who it is. So who does Moses, so who, what, how do we know Moses and Elijah? So Moses um, was the one that communed with God, had time alone with God, would meet with God alone and received the Ten Commandments and then passed on the law of God to the nation of Israel. Elijah was one of the most well-known prophets for the nation of Israel and led them through some tough times, had some pretty strong battles, some pretty dark times as well, but has also prophesied that he would return before the coming of the Messiah. So you have Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets. Meeting with Jesus, who is what? 
the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So you see this coming together of the law and the prophets in the Messiah, the anointed one, who is the redeemer, not only of Israel, but of the whole world. And so they have this mountaintop meeting. Peter, James and John are scared out of their wits and rightly so. So think about back uh, when Moses had his mountaintop experience with the Lord, when he received the Ten Commandments and he's up on top of the mountain um, and the Lord says, don't come up to everybody else. Don't come up on the mountain. Uh, you will surely die. And the whole nation of Israel just won't go near the mountain for fear of death. And a cloud descends on the mountain and there's smoke billowing and there's fire um, and all sorts of bewildering action is taking place. Um, so they, everybody that was watching, except for Moses, was scared out of their wits. Now, fast forward a little bit and Moses would actually meet with God in a tent of meeting, in a tabernacle. And he would go in there and the cloud would descend upon the tent and Moses would go in there and meet with the Lord alone. The only other person that got to be there while Moses met with God was Joshua, Joshua, son of Nun. Anyways, so you keep all that in mind and you can see, like we might think, well, that'd be awesome to be hanging out with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. That'd be fantastic. But when you think about the other encounters that people have had with God through the history of Scripture, you go, ah, actually, that's kind of bewildering. And you can see why there would be this holy fear taking place, why they would be filled with this fear. Um, I, I love to imagine this conversation that takes place. Like Moses and Elijah show up and Jesus turns to the other three and says, uh, Mo, Eli, this is uh, Pete, Jimmy, and John. Pete, Jimmy, John, this is Mo, Eli. Good to meet you all. Like, is it is it kind of, you know, a barbecue kind of vibe? No, it's not. And commentators say that where we read, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Some commentators suggest that's actually more a question than a statement. Rabbi, is it good for us to be here? Is it good for us to be here? This holy moment, this holy time. And so Peter has an idea. Let's put up some tents. One for each of you. He doesn't want a tent for himself, but one, for, I don't know why he doesn't just do one for all three of them. Um, as a form of actually protecting themselves from this holy encounter. Moses and Elijah appear. Jesus is there in the full revelation, the full realization of his divine nature, his divine being. And Peter says, ah, we need to protect ourselves or do something. Otherwise, we're going to die. Otherwise, we will die. That was their understanding of what it was like to have encounters with divine beings. No, if you read through scripture, not many people have an encounter with God or an angel and go, well, this is wonderful. We should do this again sometime. No, most of them walk away from it going, Wow, being scared to death, not quite literally. And so then a cloud appears and there's the six of them are on the top of the mountain and a cloud appears and a voice speaks to them. Now, where have we heard the voice speak to Jesus or about Jesus before? We go back to the baptism that Mark mentions right near the start of the story. This time the voice says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So here is the voice of God from heaven confirming who Jesus is. 
confirming the identity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The cool part about it is, particularly for Mark, less so for Matthew and far less so for Luke, but particularly for Mark, is that this pivotal encounter is pretty much in the middle of his narrative. And so we have all in one, we have this present moment of Jesus and his disciples and Moses and Elijah and this um, remembering, going back to the baptism of Jesus, going back to the start, and going back to the beginning of the law and the prophets, as well as this foreshadowing, because there's a conversation that follows about Elijah coming and, and the Son of Man rising from the dead. And so the foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus and what is to come in the future. So in the middle of Mark's narrative, in the middle of Mark recounting the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we have this past, present, future moment all wrapped up in this one encounter. And for Mark's readers, for Mark's, for those listening to the story, this wouldn't have been lost on them. This is like the massive turning point where they see all these things kind of coming together and, you know, this puzzle kind of starting to fit together about the identity and the nature of Jesus and what he is there to do in this confirmation. You can see Peter and James and John, they're asking the question, um, what's rising from the dead mean again? Never mind, we've just talked about it in the previous couple of chapters when Jesus has explained how the Son of Man would be persecuted and put to death and after three days he would rise again. We've just had those conversations. And now they're still asking, well, what does that mean again? And so Jesus shares with them about Elijah and the coming of Elijah. If you read Matthew's account, Jesus actually confirms or the disciples come to understand that Elijah has come in the form of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is actually the last of the prophets before the coming of the new covenant. John the Baptist is the last prophet before Jesus the Messiah comes on the scene and brings redemption to the nation of Israel and all of mankind. Not how they were expecting, but how had been prophesied over years and years. So you can see there is so much packed into this, you know, one kind of superhero encounter where they know Jesus when they've been walking with Jesus and they've come to know and love him more and more for who he is and growing in their understanding of what he's like. But in this, this split second moment, they see Jesus transfigured in a divine revelation of who he really is from an eternal perspective. The cool thing, um, you might have heard this before, but the word that we have there uh, in verse 2, transfigured, is actually where we get our word um, metamorphosis from. Jesus metamorphosized. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Jesus metamorphosized before them, transformed from one into another. And this word's used a couple of other times um, throughout Scripture. Matthew uses the same word to describe this encounter. Luke doesn't use it at all. Um, he shies away from it. Just it says that Jesus' face was changed as he prayed. That's kind of Luke's um, way of thinking throughout his narrative as well. Uh, Paul uses it when he writes to the church at Romans in Romans 12, and he says, um, do not conform any longer to the ways of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Let your mind go through a metamorphosis when it goes from what was to what is, what it should be, to the final result of who your mind should be, who you should be as a divine, divine creature. And the other way, the other place that it's used is in another of Paul's letters when he writes to the church at Corinth. Let's go there, uh, 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter three. Um, and if you're, this is in the Version Bible app, I forgot to mention that at the start. If you're using that, you can um, read along through there. Otherwise, um, in the paper Bible, Second Corinthians chapter three, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and reminding them of who they were made to be. Letting go of the things of the past, letting go of the ways of the world and actually taking a hold of who God made them to be. So let's start Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. So remember I talked about Moses going into the tent of meeting and he would meet with God who descended on the tent um, in a cloud. Amazing. Uh, incredible, overwhelming. Um, and as he came out, his face shone so brilliantly, the Israelites couldn't look at it. And as he came down from the mountain as well, when he had the encounters with God, his face shone so brilliantly, the Israelites could not look at it. So Moses um, very kindly put a veil over his face. So the radiance of God shining off his face would not blind or harm the people around him. They couldn't look at him. They couldn't look at him. It kind of makes me think, like, Am I with Jesus to the extent that it's obvious in my face? Like, can people around me tell that I've been with Jesus? Maybe not to the point where I've got to put a veil over my face. I mean, that's just weird. But would it stand out in my time with Jesus that people go, wow, you've been around Jesus? Thinking out loud as I do, as I sit here in my bedroom talking to you. Second uh, Corinthians three fourteen. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. So Paul's helping the people at Corinth shift from an understanding of what was to what is. It's not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, as it still was, and still is in some places, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Uh, and here's the clincher. Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty, your translation might say. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed going through a process of metamorphosis into his likeness. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So Paul's saying under the old covenant, you didn't have a full realization, full realization of who you are or the glory of the Lord, because there would be a veil literally over the face of the, of Moses, but the law kept you from having a 
full revelation of who God is and therefore a full revelation of who you are as his children. And he says to them, um, we with the unveiled faces, so we don't have to hide our faces because we have come into relationship with Jesus, um, reflect his glory. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. So we go for the Israelites. So they went from living under law to living under the new covenant through the death and resurrection, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and being sons and daughters of God. And in doing so, as they would look towards Jesus more and more, they would reflect his goodness and his glory, <clears throat> pardon me, and in doing so, become more fully who they were made to be. Does that make sense? So it's actually in the realisation of who God is and the freedom and liberty that we have through God that we actually um, become more and more transformed into who we're made to be and in doing so reflect his glory. It's ever increasing. It's never ending. We don't get to the point where we, oh, well, we can't actually reflect his glory any further or to, um, to an even greater extent. As we go deeper in our relationship with Jesus, as we spend time with the Lord, not for a sake of information, but out of relationship because of who he is and all that he's done, we actually more fully reflect who he is, what he's like, and also become more fully alive in who we are. That's not the point of why we do it, but that's actually the, the fruit. That's the outcome that we become the revelation of who God made us to be. That's why all these different arguments about whether we're created beings and whether God is a creator, whether there is a God and whether we evolve from another species, like they all take away this element of design and in doing so um, lessen the extent to which we can actually reflect who we are made to be. But when I look to the one who made me, when I concentrate on God as my father and as my creator, then I actually reflect his goodness, his glory, and become more fully who I am. And everyone benefits from that. When I'm more fully alive, when I'm more fully me, not for my glory, but for his glory, he gets the glory but everyone benefits. I benefit because I'm not trying to be somebody else. I'm not pretending to be somebody or something else. And everybody around me gets to know the real me. When you become more fully aware of who God made you to be and what God made you to be like and what God put you on earth to do, when you step into the fullness of that, then everybody around you benefits. And it's less tiring because you're not trying to be somebody or something else. You're actually going, well, this is who God made me to be. And when I do what God made me to do and when I am who God made me to be, then he gets the glory. It's, it's beautiful in its design and the way that God has intended it. And I love the way that God has made each and every one of us with our own unique talents, our own unique ideas and ways of doing things and ways of thinking. And all of us together, we get to reflect his glory his goodness, his likeness. And this is actually what Paul says to the church. This is actually um, an expression of freedom and liberty because this is um, the spirit of the Lord at work in us and through us. And so we get to live in this sense of freedom and liberty that we wouldn't know otherwise. 
and uh, seems more pertinent now maybe than ever before maybe it's not maybe it just feels like it maybe every generation goes through this but in a time when the world seems in complete turmoil more and more every day don't we need an ever-increasing measure of god's glory don't we need to actually reflect his goodness and kindness and likeness to the world around us by being fully alive in who he made us to be one of my, my one of my favorite superheroes <clears throat> sorry and people might argue, like, if you really want to nerd out about superheroes, um, one of my favorites is Iron Man. I don't know if it's just like the whole Tony Stark thing, if it's just the sass that he's got, or if it's just the awesome suit. <clears throat> I, you know, to be able to fly, that would be fantastic. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think Iron Man was one of the first. I don't know if you've watched it, Iron Man 2008. Go watch it. It's good for your soul. Um, at the end of it, at the end of Iron Man 1, He's meant to, he's, he has this press conference and he's meant to say, you know, what happened. Um, this is a spoiler, by the way. Uh, he's meant to say oh, it was an army exercise that went wrong that caused this collision and everything. And he's meant to say that. Anyway, he gets up there and in his usual Tony Starkness, he says, I'm Iron Man. <clears throat> and everyone's wowed by it. Everyone's like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know. And I mean, he's got, it's not just a mask. He has a full suit. So if you don't know Tony Stark, is Iron Man, then you wouldn't have known that it was him flying the suit. But he stands there and this kind of shifts superhero land because he's like, oh no, I'm the superhero. And everybody knows where he lives. Like in the next one, he puts his address up on the interwebs. Everyone knows who he is and where he's at. There's no difference between Tony Stark and Iron Man. Tony Stark wears the suit and is Iron Man. And I kind of think, that's how it's meant to be. Like I'm not meant to be one thing over here and then in this moment I become something else. I'm not meant to be Joe normal or Jared normal when I'm just doing life. But then when I'm at church, whatever that looks like, or when I'm with a certain group of people, you know, I become Jared Christian. I'm actually meant to be Jared Christian. That's a bad way of putting it, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm meant to be Jared, son of God. Jared redeemed by Christ everywhere I go, whatever I do, whoever I'm with, whatever I think. And he's the one that actually makes it possible for me to be Jared Christian wherever, whenever, with whoever I'm with. And this is actually the truest expression of freedom and liberty that we can have. That as I turn to Jesus and I say, all right, I say yes to Jesus being Lord and Saviour of my life and receiving all that he has done for me, that I step into complete freedom and complete liberty to be Jared Christian in the entirety of my life. This is the greatest gift that we have ever received. And so now we're... You know, we're all sitting in our homes, maybe, or outside, and it's different for every single one of us. And some of us are like, oh, lockdown, okay, sure, I can do this, whatever. And others are like, help me, Jesus, come back now. I am over lockdown. I'm ready for some super Jesus to come and sort this out. But the, the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there is liberty. And that is available to every single one of us, even though we're separated by time and distance it's the same spirit it's the same lord 
that is present to each and every one of us. And we can say yes to him and step into the fullness of the freedom and the liberty that he has come to give to us through his baptism, his obedience, through his teaching, through his revelation, through his death and his resurrection. So, Father, as we gather in your name, wherever we are, whether we're fully dressed like a Sunday normal or we're still in our gym jams, thank you, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. And so I pray for every single person that's listening and watching this right now, that we would be aware of who you truly are, Jesus, as the Son of God, that we would um, grow in our awareness of all that you have done through your death and your resurrection, that we would never take it for granted. The freedom that we have, because you laid down your life in complete submission and complete obedience to the will of the Father. Thank you, Father, that it is um, your, we can know your good and pleasing and perfect will by being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we commit ourselves, Lord, to the renewing of our minds by saying yes to you in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. And that we can know you more and more. And that we can be more and more transformed into your likeness as we look to you and reflect who you are and all you've done. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.